The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Last week, we discussed how the world finds unbelievable, even laughable, the idea that Jesus' death on the cross has any real meaning. Paul wrote that we could never have conceived of God's redemptive plan on our own. We need God's wisdom to comprehend our lives, let alone the mystery of the cross. Therefore, we have nothing to boast in of ourselves. God gives breath to all things. God gives life to those who were once dead. God gives wisdom to the foolish. This is why Paul says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And as we turn our attention to chapter two, we will face a key question. Will I continue to think like a fool or will I allow God to transform me into thinking like the saint I was made to be? So as we look at chapter two, that's going to be the challenge. Now here's where it gets interesting is that that fool and wise talk um, can really be understood in two ways. So Paul shows up in Corinth. Let's back up. Paul shows up in Corinth, and these people don't know who Jesus is, and he gives them the truth about God and what God has accomplished in Jesus Christ and says, will you believe this? Like, will you believe that God made you? Will you believe that God desires to be honored through you? Do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe that you're a sinful person? Do you believe this? And people come to an understanding, a conviction and an understanding of this, and then they surrender that to God's ultimate plan through Jesus Christ. And Paul points out that the world and its thinking doesn't operate like that. The world loves power, and the world loves strength, and the world loves might. And the world has a way of thinking that is contrary, is contradictory to the way that the Bible actually teaches. So the world thinks it's smart, and the people that don't think like them are fools. Paul says, actually, it's the other way around. Actually, the world is the ones who are fools, and we are the ones that are actually wise because we have insight into God's plan and God's purpose. And so Paul is trying to help these people that are struggling to understand faith Realize how they still fit into the world. How do I fit into the world? That's not just a question that junior high students have to figure out, is it? You remember when you first came? Many of us probably came. How many of you came to faith, say, before the age of 18? Raise your hand if you came to faith before the age of 18, right? Yeah, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Come to faith. I believed, I don't know about you, I actually believed that it was just going to be a struggle for a while, but then once we all kind of grew up, it would get easier. Like, junior high is the problem. And junior high has its own way of living and its own way of acting, but if I could just get into high school, then it would be easy. Not that everybody would agree with me. Not that all of a sudden we would all be on the same page. No, I knew it, but, but somehow I think they would be kinder, that we would be more understanding, and that I would just grow up in my faith and I would be bold. And then I showed up in my high school and it did not go well for me. It was actually harder. So what I decided to do, kick the can down the road. Oh, but once I get to college, that's when faith is easy. No, no even more complicated than high school. It was like a blend of junior high and high school all in one. So what did I do? Well, the good news is I I came to a better understanding while I was in college. 
But for the first couple of years, I really kind of thought, once I get out of college, then it'll get better. And it, it didn't magically get better. I needed to come to a different understanding of what it meant to be a fool and to what it meant to think like a fool. I need to, to come to understanding that the world was never going to fully understand or accept the way that I was going to live. And I needed to be comfortable in the world's eyes to be considered a fool. I, I needed to come to grips with that and to come to terms with that. That my way of thinking, the biblical way of thinking, was never going to fit in. And I had to just admit that and come to terms with that and accept that and embrace that and then live in that and then see that alternative way of thinking and alternative way of being, alternative way of acting begin to grow its own fruit, begin to grow its own way of, uh, of demonstrating like a reality that the world may never understand, but I became more and more convinced like God is real. And his word is true. And so I'm, I'm going to be, for many, many people, foolish. Out of step with the way things really are. And so in that sense, thinking like a fool, Paul says, I want you to embrace this. I want you to embrace, not, not the world's way of thinking and not the world's way of acting. I want you to embrace a lot of this foolishness, just in the world's eyes, foolishness that actually is faith. And then he continues on and he says, because I want you to think like a saint. We've already described that what a saint is, a saint is a holy one, okay? That's what the word literally means, the holy ones. And these are those people who have recognized their sin, God's righteousness, and then God's plan of giving his righteousness to us by trusting in what Jesus Christ has done. Is that simple? I'm a sinner. God is righteous. Jesus is God. He died for me, and therefore God, by faith, is giving me this gift. Are you going to accept it or not? I'd like to accept it. Okay. By faith, not by me figuring out how to be good, not by me in a worldly way, massing my achievement and then demonstrating them before God. Me, by faith, which sounds so foolish, to just trust. By faith, I am now going to recognize that God's love for me and Jesus' sacrifice for me is enough. And I walk away changed, different. I walk away not just with a conviction about my brokenness and God's goodness and God's plan, but literally I walk away changed. I walk away thinking different. I walk away with a whole new set of convictions that the Bible supports and that the Bible fosters. The Bible helps grow and incubate and, and, and bring to its maturity. But this is what it means to think like a fool. This is what it means to think like a saint. And Paul is saying to some Christian people, like, do you remember that? Like, do you remember what you committed yourselves to? Do you remember this, the life that you lived, your old life? Do you remember this new life that you actually have in faith? Because this is what it actually means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be a saint. You might wonder, like, why do we have to keep being reminded this? And I think in part, it's because the world is so broken. And it is so easy. I spend the majority of my time in a broken world um, dealing with what actually is upside right and what's upside down. What is God going to redeem? How is God working all of this out? Why do I still wrestle with temptation? Why am I still finding myself stumbling and falling? 
Like, I just feel like if all of this were really, really true, then it would be like an on-off switch. And Paul says, it is. There is an off-on switch. It just doesn't work the way that you want it to work. I, I love to remind Christians, we don't believe in magic, we believe in Jesus. We don't believe in magic. We believe in Jesus. We believe the way of the cross. We believe of the, the discipline of a life that submits to the Spirit. We don't believe in magic. I know a lot of people that pray like magical prayers. Like, God, just make sure that I never, ever, ever, ever have a bad thought or a temptation ever again. Amen. Now I can go back to watching terrible television. Oh, well, I guess it didn't work. And other people go, that's right. It's really, it's all about discipline. It's all about self-control. No, that doesn't help either. So what is it about? It is about recognizing something in fact has happened. So let's remember that. And then let's commit to that. So that's how this chapter two is going to unfold. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at chapter two. And here, here's what we're doing. As we are looking at the Bible this morning, what we are doing is we're breaking it open. As you know, it's our kind of our policy here at Sunnybrook. We believe the Bible needs to be taught. Like we're going through 1 Corinthians and it's not Jim's favorite text from 1 Corinthians. It's not. It's 1 Corinthians. So we go through verse by verse. Why? It just keeps, it keeps Jim from just preaching what he wants. Man, I just love verse 9, and that, that could really be a great verse. Well, no, actually, no. Verse 9 comes in a bigger story. So we're going to unpack it verse by verse, thought by thought, section by section, so that the whole counsel of God from Paul's letter to the 1 Corinthians gets applied to our lives 2,000 years later. So Paul is going to teach us in this first section of chapter 2 just how important Jesus Christ is. He's going to make this very bold statement. Like, I determined or I decided that I would know nothing among you except for Jesus. That, that, that's Paul saying, not there's nothing else that matters but Jesus. Like, all your time studying, like, math and science, all of your time trying to work at your job, if it doesn't have, like, Jesus, um, if, it's not, if it doesn't have a Bible verse attached to it all the time, then it has no value or worth in it. Actually, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul, in other places, will actually, like, teach what Greek philosophers believed. Okay? So he does that. The Apostle Paul understands what's going on around him. But the Apostle Paul is talking here more about a priority. That when I look at my life and when I talk to you, I have Jesus Christ, and he's going to say him crucified, as the filter, as the lens, as the key paradigm that everything else that I believe goes through. And that is important. To be a Christian is a different way of orienting ourselves towards life where it all goes through the filter of Jesus Christ and his gospel. It all goes through the lens of the biblical teachings about life and about God. That's what it means to be a Christian. And here's how Paul says it in verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Essentially, this isn't a commercial that's going to end with three easy payments of $29.95, you know? It's amazing how you just put three easy payments and I'll pay one of those payments for you and that just sounds like the greatest deal in the world to me. You could sell me anything if you broke it all down into four easy payments and you'll pay one of them. 
There's something that is special about that. I know what it's like to sit in a classroom and to have someone so much more intelligent than me talking to me and having this influence over my thought process. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Wow, he says that so well. Boy, oh boy, the way that she articulated that that argument of that conversation, I think I'm wrong. I think I've been wrong forever. Wow, that was impressive. And let's be honest, people can do that. It's not just politicians and it's not just car salesmen. It's university professors. It's moms and dads. It's our friends. It's so many things that are packaged and then given to us And there is a power in the medium itself, in the way that it is presented itself. Like I said, infomercials work for a reason. If they didn't, you wouldn't see any. They work, don't they? Let's just be honest. They work. Paul says, when I came to you, and you've seen lots of other people come with lofty speech and really clever arguments. And Paul goes, but I determined that I was not going to be that way. I didn't come giving you something that in the end, when you walked out, you'd go, wow, did I just get like a really great way of living and a used car, right? Paul says, I didn't do that. Look at what he says here. I didn't come to you with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's not Jesus Christ and wrapped in a swa- in swaddling clothes and born in a manger, although a very important story. It's not Jesus Christ. I know love, some people that love to come and preach Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus loved to hang out with sinners. Loved to hang out with sinners. Hung out with them all the time. And you should too. Like they love to preach that story. You know people, that, that's the primary story they love to teach. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus was a friend of sinners. True. Man, if that's not part of your understanding of who Jesus Christ is, then you need to read your Bible and find out Jesus Christ was, in fact, a friend of sinners. Jesus Christ, the one who, at very critical moments of people's lives, he was there for them. He even wept with them. John 11, Lazarus dies. His family is there, and Jesus Christ came alongside and wept with them. That's the story of Jesus. He's there for you. See, Paul... All of those stories are part of the narrative. But Paul doesn't say, like, Jesus the great teacher who gave us the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus the wonderful storyteller who gave us these amazing parables. What does he say? Jesus Christ and him crucified. The angel did not tell Mary that Jesus Christ was going to come and he was going to be the smartest person the world has ever seen. The angel said that he's going to come and give his life He's going to come and he's going to save his people from their sins. And so Paul says, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I am here, not with lofty speech. I am here to try to give you Jesus Christ and him crucified in plain language so that you don't walk away and wonder what you got yourself into. See, that's a great question. What did I get myself into? This is one of the things why it could, this applies really easily into our lives because so many of us think what I really need to have in order to win my friend over to faith, to win my parents to the faith that I now believe in now that I've gone to college and this whole new world has opened up and my mom and dad are not on the same page as me and what I really need is I need to know the answers to all of their questions. 
I, I need to really have an answer. Dad's really smart, and he's going to want to question me everything, and I just need an answer. I get it. And, and answers down the road are, are going to help both you and him. I get it. But actually, that's not what you need. What you really need, first and foremost, is to remember that it is not with lofty speech, it is not with clever arguments that we win anyone. It is through the bold proclamation about who Jesus Christ is and that he came for sinners like you and me. And he died for us. It is Jesus Christ and him what? Crucified. And Paul says, that's what I presented to you. And I had no problem presenting that to you. Look at this, verse 3 and a little bit, I think there's a little bit of overstatement here. I don't think he would argue with me on this. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul says, I came to you like weak and, and, and in fear and in trembling. And when we read that, we go, yeah, I know sometimes I am, it's difficult for me to speak in front of people too. And that's not what Paul's talking about. Well, you know, but Paul's in a strange place and he really doesn't know anyone. He's afraid of that. No? He's afraid that they might hurt him? It, it doesn't appear to be. The Apostle Paul it says in other books very boldly, and in this one as well, like, I believe in the power of the gospel. And I'm not ashamed of the power of the gospel for it is salvation for everyone who believes. That's what Paul's going to say. So he believes that. So what do you mean, fear and trembling? Paul uses this kind of language whenever he is describing the overwhelming weight of being used by God in very important circumstances. Paul tells the church in Philippi that they should work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Paul says, when I came with you to you, I didn't come with a cleverly articulated argument, even though other philosophers have done that. I didn't come uh, somehow figuring out a way to give you the five best ways that faith is going to help you. I didn't do that. I, didn't, I don't have a, a whole tweet message for you. I came rather clearly. A lot of scholars get, get involved in this. Some of them even say that what he is actually trying to deal with here is that he had preached in Athens previous to this, where he got into a big philosophical confrontation and debate, and it didn't really work very much, so Paul decided to change his approach. I, I think that is overstatement. I think Paul has always talked very boldly. If you read the sermon to the people in, in Athens, the, the great philosophers, Paul preached Christ and him crucified. So there's not a change. What, what Paul is describing is that when I came to you in this fear and trembling, it wasn't because I was afraid you were going to hurt me or I was afraid you weren't going to accept it. I just felt the weight of the moment. Can you imagine if I were to say to you, like, I'm going to be presenting Jesus Christ today, and I hope that you accept him. And, and by the way, like, if you do accept him, then you will find life in, in this life and then eternal life in the life to come. And I want you to experience that. If not, you will continue down a road that will lead to ultimate damnation and destruction to you, both in this life and ultimately in the life to come. But honestly, it's no skin off my nose what you do. Like, I don't know if I really care one way or the other. See, the Apostle Paul, in working out his faith and in sharing his faith, like, understood like something was at stake. And too many of us as Christians put too much on our shoulders. Man, it's all up to me. I gotta know all the answers. I gotta live the life perfect. And I gotta, somehow I gotta win you. Just get on my back. I'll drag you around for a while. 
Easy. No, no, no. You're not, you're not that, you're not Jesus like that. And other people, like there's no sense of the importance of the moment. There's no sense of, I need you to really consider a life in Jesus Christ. I need you to consider the trajectory that you are on. I need you to consider the life that you are building upon. I need you to realize that you might think this is just coffee and we can have another one of these. So I'm not saying this is the final time we're ever going to meet. But as I share with you the gospel, whenever you ever had that conversation, whenever you ever kind of felt what was at stake, I mean, honestly, how many of you walk into this room on a Sunday morning and just think, oh, okay, whatever. That's kind of learned a couple of things today. Like what if the message that is proclaimed through song, through prayer, through the proclamation of the word, like what if that in some sense is part of God's cosmic plan where your soul hangs in the balance. I need more fear and trembling. Coming to you in weakness. Not because I'm not confident in the gospel or the power of the gospel, but just the weight of the moment. Now what brings peace to this? I think Paul would say, when I get to remember that I don't have to try to wow you, don't have to try to wow you with my wit and wisdom, but I just have to boldly present the reality of the gospel that Jesus Christ died in your place for your sins and has established a kingdom and has invited you to be a part of this radical transformation that has you very much a part of it. He continues on, so he says, listen, I know I've been kind of knocking this wisdom, but the wisdom I've been knocking is actually like the worldly wisdom. But we do give you a wisdom. It's just not a wisdom that you could have figured out on your own. Here's how he describes it in verse six. Yet among the mature, which means it might be time to grow up, it it means I I might need to understand a little bit more than just like a simple way of approaching things, that that maybe I need to look at Bible verses that are not just the same Bible verses all the time that kind of gear themselves towards what I need. One One of the dangers of those kind of devotional Bibles or devotional books where you have a problem and you just go to a Bible and it kind of fixes your problem like that is that this book wasn't given to us like that. Paul, if if God wanted us to give us one of those devotional Bibles, he would have given us one. Hear me. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying if that's all you know how to do, then what you don't get is how the whole story fits together. And that's what you need to understand. And so Paul is saying, listen, there is a maturity. And to those of you who are mature, those of you who are growing in your faith, in both your understanding as well as your obedience, he says, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Worldly wisdom is just set for destruction. But we, those who are followers of Jesus, impart a, here we get ready for this, it can get exciting, a secret, I love secrets, and a hidden wisdom. Oh, I love hidden wisdom. Hey guys, I got something for you that only we have. Is that not awesome? We're finally on the inside on an issue here. It's secret. It's hidden wisdom. We do impart a secret or a hidden wisdom. Hold on to those ideas first, by the way. Secret or hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages, and he decreed them for what purpose? The text says what? For our glory. God had a secret or a hidden plan that he determined for our glory. I wonder what that could be. Let's see it unpack. 
None of the rulers of this age understood this. This is where the worldly wisdom just kind of gets them always just, they're spinning in circles. They, they, they never really get any traction. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. I.e., when God's plan finally came, if they were able to figure out that that was God's plan, they would have received Jesus for who he was, but they didn't. So what did they do? They killed him. Because he, Jesus, opposed their way of thinking, their way of acting. Jesus came to set them free from sin. And we could never have figured this out, but God planned it beforehand. That's why the number one thing you and I have to wrestle with is our own pride. We've got to swallow hard, recognizing that we couldn't have figured this out on our own. It says in verse 9, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. See, what he's describing here is the bold news that Paul wants to have, which he says was a secret, and it was totally hidden, meaning that in the book of Genesis, you, you can't really see Jesus and his coming and his plan and his crucifixion. In Exodus, you can't really see his coming and his plan and his crucifixion, and all the way through the pages of the Old Testament, although God has a plan, it remained like secret or hidden. So when we look at this verse, I know a lot of Christian people that look at this verse and they see that, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor heart has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And they go, really? Is it a new car? That'd be awesome. Is it a, is it a whole new power over my circumstances? Because that would be awesome. Like, I want to have a kind of power that makes my life better. And so many of us, all we get to think about is how I can be more educated or how I can be more successful in life. And, and we loved it. I heard preachers talk about this. Man, God has a plan for you. And then they kind of grab something from the book of Jeremiah. I know the plans that I have for you, plans to. They kind of drag that out. They drag out. This is why we've got to walk through verse by verse. Paul is saying, no, no eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard, no heart has ever imagined what God has in store for you, this amazing secret. Well, what is it? I'm going, well, he's already been talking about it. The amazing plan that God has in store for us, the amazing plan that was kept hidden for a very, very long time is what? That Jesus Christ came for you. Any of you, like when you hear that, go, oh, this sounds one of those like Christmas gifts that's really practical but not very fun. Like, that's why um, sometimes churches and preachers feel the need to go, I want to talk about Jesus. And then they can just kind of see the glassy stare and go, and a new car. You know, I want to talk about Jesus and the glassy stare again. And, and this great way that you can control your destiny. Yay, destiny. And Paul doesn't have that. Paul goes, all I really have for you is Jesus. And he's not apologetic about it. That's what I have for you, because I promise you, the car thing and the destiny thing and the magic that you want in life, like, poof. Like a day is coming when you're going to meet this Jesus, and you're going to want to be friends. <laughs> I promise you. And, and before we get there, you're going to quickly find out in life that those things that you thought you wanted, those things that you desired, I mean, I just remember so wanting to fit in. 
and then realizing, wow, like that is just a game that never ends and it is so tiring. No eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard, no heart has ever imagined what God has in store and his name is Jesus. And if that does not satisfy you, now when I say that, listen, I I get that you might still be wrestling with this. I get that like in your spiritual walk, in growth and development, which I hope just continues to happen, that there are days where it's not as exciting as others, that there are days where, yeah, I I can't easily get distracted by shiny things. I get that. But there's something else that is pulling you. There is something else that is drawing you. There is something much deeper that is satisfying you. See, and that's what maturity is. Maturity says, I'm not going to chase the shiny objects. I'm going to find something that satisfies. And spiritual maturity is, yeah, I mean, I started going to this church because I could see how it could really help my marriage and my family. And now I'm beginning to realize that it was designed by God to really help me love him more and become more like him, which has actually helped my family and my, right? That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. This is what the secret thing is. Paul, Paul loves to talk about secrets and hidden things. And what he is saying is, is that there was for a really, really long time nobody knew about Jesus. And now that he has come, is he not the most amazing thing in the world? Like it is secret no longer. It is hidden no longer. Except, kind of remains hidden when we don't live like him. Like it can remain hidden in me when I act like the world, it it can really remain a secret when instead of me sharing my confession about who Jesus Christ is and the transformation that he has done in my life, it could kind of remain hidden there, couldn't it? By the way, this is Paul's concern. Not that the people of Corinth have to go out and evangelize the city. We've got a great campaign. No, the the Apostle Paul doesn't, doesn't do that. What the Apostle Paul actually believes in just the natural comings and going of our life, as our life is given to Jesus Christ, that our lives, that our lives will speak and that our words will speak, our lives and our words will speak about who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done. That's what the Apostle Paul believes. And that's what the church in Corinth needed to believe. See, notice what it says here. These things God has revealed to us, he's going to say, beginning in verse 10. So to these things, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him. Paul's going, there is something deep inside of everyone that knows us better than anyone. Okay? And therefore, there is something inside God, that Spirit which knows him perfectly, And that spirit inside God is that which revealed to us the truth about him. Don't miss that. His point isn't to get lost on, that's right, I know myself better than anybody. No, 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 no. That's the analogy. But the point is, is that the spirit that knows the depths of God, that is what has revealed this truth to us, this wisdom to us, us that he wants us to embrace. He says, continuing on in verse 11, So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except for the spirit of God. And now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God. That, or so that, or in order that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Therefore, the things of God no longer are a mystery. By the way, that doesn't mean, again, we don't believe in magic. It doesn't mean that you know everything about the Bible and you never need to study it and you never need to kind of grow in it and you never need to, no, it doesn't say that at all. 
What it is describing is, is that we have been empowered. We've been empowered by God, by the Holy Spirit, that in our study and in our families and in our obedience to God, we can understand this and we can give our lives to this. It's not an obstacle course that we can't work through. Yes, it's complicated and difficult. And yes, it's going to mean that at times we get some things wrong, but the Spirit will not let us stay there and it will keep pulling us on until God pulls us home. That's what the Paul is saying. He's asking for some honest evaluation. Do you get that God has given you what is necessary for you to be faithful to him? A lot of Christians don't get that sense. They don't get that belief. They feel like so much of the Christian life is still way out there. I was talking to my sister the other day on the phone, and she just wants to know about the book of Revelation. She just turned 60 years old. Wants to know about the book of Revelation. And it drives me crazy when people, yeah, but you know, we, nobody, nobody could ever understand that. And I'm like, yeah, that's why God gave it to us and said, blessed is the one who understands this book and puts it into action because he knew we couldn't do it. It makes no sense. God didn't give us, Jesus didn't give us instructions on how to live because he knew we couldn't do it. Even the Old Testament law wasn't given for that purpose, by the way. Yeah, God knows you can't do it, so he just loves to frustrate you. Where'd you get that idea? Oh, the preachers. Okay, yeah, sorry. We're sorry. Were we the ones telling you that? Probably. Just you didn't get that from the Bible. So the Apostle Paul makes it very clear, you have the Spirit of God so that you can understand the things that God has given to us, and then we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Which means there are some things that that Christians get that non-Christians may never fully understand or appreciate. Now hear me, this can never create in us an elitism. This isn't the kind of secret, you remember when you're the friend in school's passing notes and everyone, you think everyone got it but you? Everyone got it but me, and now I'm left out. And that kind of breeds this, this, um, this insecurity and this fear. Again, that's not the way that Paul ever describes secrets, as though there's this inside club or an outside club. Interestingly enough, the gospel freely goes to everyone, and some just say, I don't want it. I don't want to give my life to that. I don't want to, I don't want to think different than I do. And, and this is why whenever I get to stand up and to teach the Bible, and I get to say some pretty crazy things, like we should be cheerful givers, like when the plate passes by, we really need to be cheerfully giving to God's kingdom. And we have an opportunity to give. Man, we need to, to ask, how can we give sacrificially to this? Like a spiritual person goes, yeah, that like, sounds like a great idea. And an unspiritual person goes, like, why would we give? You know what we could do with that money? You know what I could do? You know what I could get? The Bible says that we, we give sacrificially. Trusting that God will take care of our needs. And there's a lot of people that go, oh, that sounds kind of crazy to me. I don't think I can do that. The Bible actually teaches that a marriage looks like this, that husbands love their wives and wives submit to their husbands out of reverence for Christ, that husbands love their wives and sacrifice their life all the way, that the husband puts the interests of the wife ahead of his own, and that the wife submits to her husband and the world goes, well, the world used to say, 
What kind of man would be that pathetically weak? That's what the world used to say. Now the world says, what kind of woman would be that stupid? Who knows, it'll change back, it'll change. But the word of God stands true. And I remember watching people when, when that is being proclaimed, just something stirs up inside of them. I was doing a conference in California one time and, and, this, and on, on, uh, on how the church and women's the roles and those kinds of things. This woman just walked straight up to me and I am not going to go to that session because I know you're going to use the S word. Seriously? And, and I, I, I almost wanted to argue with her which, by the way, is just the worldly way of handling this. What, what, I, what I really needed to do, I don't want to tell you what happened, but what I really needed to do, it's interesting, but it's, it's a longer story. What I really needed to do is I needed to recognize something else was broken. Like, if you don't get giving, I can't believe you're staying in that marriage after all that she's done to you. After the way that she has treated you, I cannot believe you're staying in that marriage. My new approach, and I gotta be really careful that this doesn't kind of get like sarcastic. I really have to be careful with that one. But here really is the answer. Like, why can't you get that? Like, why can't you get that somebody would stay in a very difficult circumstance and forgive and be even at the point of being taken advantage of? Like, why can't you get that? Like, why can't you get that a husband would put his interests ahead of his wife's and love her the way that Christ loved the church. Like, why can't you get that? Why can't you get that submission is not a dirty word? Like, why can't you get that? Why can't you get that it's not a dumb thing to give boldly to God's great cosmic plan? Like, why can't you get that? My favorite story on this, I've told it a million times, I'm gonna tell it again. Tony Evans is standing or is sitting at this uh, at this table, and he's having a conversation um, on na- on national television. And it was back in the '80s. You guys remember Promise Keepers? So Promise Keepers was this great thing. Men would get into football stadiums, and they wouldn't play football. They would sing songs to Jesus and hear messages about how they need to be faithful at home to their wives. And this was going all over the place. Men would spend like a hundred bucks to go and, and spend this time. And Tony Evans, who's a pastor in Dallas. And one of my, he's fun to listen to. He's speaking about this, and this, this interviewee says to him, I don't get promise keepers. I just don't get it. Is, are, are you guys just men that are mad about all the advances that women have made in the last 20, 30, 40 years, and you're trying to take them back? I don't get it. Is this a moneymaker thing, Tony? Like, let's be honest. Add it up. How many men are going to this thing? $100 a pop. Is this a, a, a money thing? Tell me what's going on. Tell me why you're, and, and you know what Tony said to him? Tony looked at him and just said, well, Tom, I don't expect you to understand. It's a spiritual thing, and you're not a spiritual person. (laughs) Now, hear me. That might sound like a zinger. I don't think, I mean, I wish you could have watched him do it. It wasn't a ha, got you. It was just painful truth. Like, Like, I don't know what to say to you. To this woman, like if you hate the idea of submitting so much that you can't even be in the room when that is ever talked about, like we have other issues we need to deal with. If you do not understand how someone could forgive someone who has hurt them so much, like I don't know what to say to you anymore. I got nothing. Um, 
well, then do you mind if I tell you about Jesus? Because that's probably where we need to begin. And I'm not being a smart aleck when I say that. So often, I really want to try to get in, I want to try to understand why you don't understand this. And Paul just says, listen, the Spirit has been given us some things. This is why there can be no pride in us on this issue, guys. There can be no pride. We cannot have more barriers in the way of us sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with those around us. So there's no pride. Probably should be no surprise either. The world scratches its head when we talk to them. Paul ends with this thought. Are you ready for this? Here's a mind blower. Because we have the mind of Christ. I don't know what you, what you think about your mind. Paul says that if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you have the mind of Christ. Paul says in verse 14, the natural person, that's the person who does not think, does not have the Holy Spirit, does not think like the Spirit, that in the end thinks for themselves, which is a terrible thing. Thank you, dead poet society. Think for yourselves, that, which I would argue is even like an impossible concept. Here's Robin Williams trying to convince all these kids to think for themselves like him. Think through that movie for a moment. Come on, everybody on their desk, like me. Think for yourself, like me. Rebel against your parents, like me. And by the way, I was totally sucked in at that movie. That is so true. Parents are evil and teachers are awesome. And, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> a little of a hobby horse there. See, that's why I need to preach all the way through 1 Corinthians. So look at this. The natural person does not accept the things, of, the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. They're foolish. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, meaning God gives us insight that we can judge all things. Yet, beautifully, we ourselves judge by no one but God. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? Question. Who can put God in the corner and go, let me teach you a few things, God? Answer, Who? And then he ends with, but we, like you and me, have the mind of Christ. See, that, Paul's just reminding these Corinthian people, like, this is the foolishness you came from. Like, this is now who you are. You are saints. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You have the insights of God that he has kept hidden, but now is revealed. Like, wow, like, we have the mind of Christ. See, I, I see something. No, no, no. I've got the mind of fear. I got the mind of freak out. That's what, I, that's what my mind is. I got the mind of jealousy. I got the mind, I still have the mind of the world. And Paul says, listen, I know, and I want to teach you something about progressive sanctification. This is going to be a process. But, brothers and sisters, for those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ, we have the mind of Christ. Which means that we commit to him, to follow him. We don't believe in magic. We believe in the gospel. And we believe that the Holy Spirit now dwells within us. And for many of you, you're going, well, I still don't understand why. And I'm going, what if we don't worry about that? How many of you are beginning to get a sense some things that are connecting you're beginning to understand what sacrifice looks like. You're beginning to understand that submission to God or to others is like not a bad thing. You're beginning to understand. Have you beginning to understand some things? You thought that was because you were smart? You thought that because you were good? You, you really thought that's what that was? 
What if that's the spirit of God at work in you? See, I believe it is. So we praise him for that and we lean into that and God grows that, God fosters that by his spirit. See, what Paul wants the people to know is this, is that if you are currently right now finding yourself in step with the world, then you are not in step with God. And that's true for us. If you find yourself walking along to singing world songs, then just know you're not in step with Jesus. And it also helps, that's because this is the, my last statement and it's big, that's why that happened. <laughs> and also, like if you find yourself in this weird rhythm out of step with the world, the good news is you're dancing with Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for what you have done and are doing and will continue to do. Thank you for what you have accomplished ultimately through Jesus. Thank you for the spirit that lives in us. Help us see where it is happening. And then God, help us to see and to commit to more of that. It's in Jesus' name we trust because he's the only one we trust. Amen. Love you guys. Would love to continue the conversation. God bless you and we will see you on Wednesday night.